Welcome to Season 2 of For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast connecting people engaged in the craft and industry of jewelry making. Brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supplies and hosted by yours truly, Courtney Gray. While navigating through this time, we realize the need to stay home, be safe, and stay inspired. We are truly all in this together. I'm honored and excited to take you on this journey to discover not only the how, but why we make jewelry. My goal is not only to inform you, but to empower you by sharing the passion, perspective, and perseverance of your fellow makers and professionals in all facets of the craft. Let's dive in. Hi guys, today we have Corky Bolton. She has been making jewelry since she was in high school, graduating from Pratt Institute with a degree in metalsmithing in 2007. But that was only the beginning of her story. There was a point after graduation where the economy wasn't doing so well. She started to abandon the dream of being a jeweler. She started a career in the fitness industry, but still held on to one bench and her acetylene torch. The turning point was years later after overcoming some personal struggles and moving to Boston, where she met a woman whose grandmother had been a metalsmith. She generously gave Corky her grandmother's beloved tools. This incredible act of kindness was a huge sign from the universe that she needed to be making jewelry. She launched her line in 2016. Corky embraces the spirit of community over competition. She launched Metalsmith Society in early 2018, an Instagram community where jewelers can share information, ask questions, and learn. Corky is also married and a mother of two. She's a New Yorker and has a thing about bagels and pizza. <laughs> Corky, I welcome. Isn't that weird to hear somebody read your bio? <laughs> like face to face. You know, though, whenever I hear mention of my origin story, though, I still get a little chill from it, even yeah. though, you know, so uh, it, it makes me happy to hear that. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to connecting with you for quite a, a while and um, heard such great things. In fact, somebody compared me to you. They said, Corky's like the younger you, Courtney. <laughs> and I said, hey, wait, I'm not that old yet. <laughs> but, you know, it, so it's a really an honor to meet you. I, I know your, you know, your views and your, the way that you reach out to the community really aligns with, with my vision as well. So it's an honor. Yeah. Well, super kind of you. I'm extremely flattered and really it's always a privilege to be considered for any type of thing like this. So I'm really, really happy and stoked to talk to you about jewelry and metalsmith society and being a mom. Yep. Mother of two. We can both relate to that. We'll definitely have to talk about that. Maybe we can um, talk about pizza and bagels. I know. I would love to hear about the pizza and bagels. Um, yeah. So what part of New York are you from? Well, I grew up in Westchester County and then I lived in Brooklyn for 10 years when I was attending Pratt Institute, stuck around for a little while. And uh, it, it is kind of funny that my bio mentions Boston Yeah, uh, since that was sort of a, a shorter window of time, but definitely a really important time, you know, got with my husband and got back into jewelry making. So, Yeah. I love reading your bio. It was just so real and tells me a lot about you already. Um, I love that you're a very open book like this. And do you mind just sharing with us about that whole transition for you of, you know, moving careers around and kind of finding yourself back at the bench? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a important part of who I am as a person and even the kind of jewelry that I make. You know, I... I was so fortunate in that growing up in Westchester County, New York, my high school had jewelry, you know, and it was a public high school. 
And um, I always like to mention, um, you know, one of my art teachers in particular, Mrs. D. Um, there were so many good ones, though. Um, but, you know, she had studied at SUNY New Paltz and knew how to make jewelry and what an asset she was to our high school because she just made it happen. She got the acetylene torch. She made the little area. Uh, she got some enameling kilns and... I really got a very nice introduction at such a young age when I was impressionable. And I knew that I wanted to go to art school. But when I went to Pratt, I really quickly knew that jewelry was what I wanted to have my bachelor's degree be concentrated in. I just loved how it was, you know, you could make these treasures that could be passed down from person to person and that it could all fit in a shoebox because. My family had done a little moving around, you know, we had like moved out of a house and my parents had divorced and, you know, they had their apartments and I was this kid that was so prolific in what I would make, you know, ceramics and paintings and large scale things that, you know, it got to a point where I'm like, I need like a storage unit for all this stuff that I'm creating. And so I love that jewelry was so small and wearable and functional. The list goes on and on. And so going to, you know, Pratt was such an awesome experience and, it, it taught me so much. I got to really focus, especially the last year and a half I was there on making jewelry. But as mentioned in my bio, for people that, you know, are my age, they especially remember that time in 2008 when the economy really had a struggle. And that was like when I graduated. And I was fortunate enough to be able to have many different jobs in the jewelry industry, even though some of them were short-lived. I had the you know privilege of working for another jeweler who had a really successful business. Um, her name's Elizabeth Garvin. She's still doing stuff. She's wonderful. And that was a really small team. And I got to learn how to do a little production work and you know how to solder 30 pairs of earrings in a row. And um, I had a job at a Polish diamond fine jewelry company on 47th street. So I got to see like what that was all about. And, you know, some of the happenings in New York city, 47th street, that whole hustle. And, um, you know, and then I also worked at Saks Fifth Avenue for a while, just like selling things. So there were a lot of great experiences that I had, but I also was dealing with some personal struggles. You know, I had, for, you know, since high school kind of dabbled in drinking and smoking weed and experimenting, but there was sort of a darker side to it for me where it was definitely an escapism. And I sort of tended to go toward that sort of, oh, I'm doing this to kind of numb out. And as much as I was really kept it together in college and really worked hard, um, you know, I was also partying really hard and it kind of continued on after graduation where I was kind of, you know, losing myself a bit and really losing the dream though, like to make this relevant about jewelry making, I was very much giving up, getting jaded. And I would think this is too hard. I can't do this. People that are successful, they're lucky. They have a trust fund. They have a wealthy partner. And I had a lot of these thoughts that were really negative. And yeah, I, um, I, it was also truthfully, and I think this is a reality of our industry, there were some jobs too that I really couldn't even pay my bills. 
even though they were very valuable experiences, but I was, you know, $13 an hour, I'm living in Brooklyn, you know, it, it was challenging. And, you know, and so I very much, I identify I'm an alcoholic. I was drinking alcoholically. I started selling off my jewelry equipment. You know, I do mention there's actually in the background, um, I'm not sure if, if people will see the video of this, but Courtney can see into my studio. I do still have the one bench that I like wasn't willing to get rid of that my father had bought for me. But um, during this time, I had very much started, you know, finding people on Craigslist that wanted to buy, you know, some of my stuff, my tools. Um, I even sold a tool back to Pratt Institute that I wasn't using anymore. I was really um, down on, I'm never going to make this happen for myself. And I was de really depressed. So now the the uplifting part of the story, you know, fortunately for me, I, in December, December 30th, 2010, so this is some years later after I graduated and I was having struggles for a few years, I uh, got sober and started attending AA and, you know, still living in New York City and just like slowly day by day, I just got better. And that was really such a gift for me, truthfully, because, um, it just made space in my life slowly for like dreams to come back. And my whole attitude and perspective changed a little bit. And, you know, just, um, I know we're going to move on to other questions and whatnot, but the, the other part of that bio is that when I did move to Boston at that time, I had already been sober for a few years. I met a woman, Lisa, and she just, so generously, her grandmother, Mary, who she was very close with, had passed away. Mary had been a silversmith for over 20 years with a successful business. And she so generously offered me whatever tools I wanted to take. She didn't know what a lot of them were. And, you know, that was such a huge moment. Um, you know, and, and for those that are listening that maybe have heard me be interviewed before, I, I do have to mention this story almost every time because it's just like an amazing moment for me where I, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, fine. I'll do this. <laughs> the right. Universe. <laughs> yeah. Kind of pushed you in that direction a little bit. Well, I'm a big believer in timing of things. So I always pay attention to, to when things come through like that or when they kind of show up in our lives. And, um, sometimes if you don't listen when it's up, you know, you can miss the opportunity or the window, um, you know, so I, I love that you just decided to, to jump through that door, so to speak, and get back into it. And, you know, those messages come loud when they, for me. Yeah. Again, I still even telling the story right now, it's like body chills every time because it's like the tools that I had given away when I was at my darkest were like sitting in front of me because it's jewelry tools, right? The right. But it was the same saw that I had given away, you know, the same mandrel, like I was wow. just really, I was kind of shook by it, you know? Yeah. And, um, huh. when I did return, I immediately jumped back into teaching and trying to find local nonprofit places where I could get hired for a weekend workshop. And so that's where I came back mm. into the game. Yeah. Was to, you went right into teaching. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that about you. Are you still teaching quirky? So I, as recently as maybe two years ago, taught a workshop, I think just COVID and being busy. Um, 
but I do private lessons sometimes. And one of my hopes with my new studio space is to have some workshops in the future for sure. Very cool. Yeah, the studio looks great. Um, you, we're, we're practicing today. We're playing together, Corky and I, on videoing this podcast and uh, being able to release it in you know, multiple ways. So we can, you can listen at the bench or you can turn on YouTube and get a view into her studio and my office if you care to. It's nice to, to be working at home. Is your studio at home or are you? It is. It's off my garage. Oh, nice. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Especially being a mom and, you know, we could definitely dive into that. I think quirky, it's, it's not easy, you know, mother of two. How old are your, your kiddos? So both of my kids have summer birthdays and they're turning four and six. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So you have your hands full. I will say it gets a little easier. Mine are um, 10 and 14. And, you know, it just changes a little bit as as they grow and you grow and you get used to being a parent. And um, it's a five-year learning curve, though, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, once you kind of get past the five-year hurdle with with most things in life, I don't know if you can relate to that, but, you know, being a parent or being a professional uh, entrepreneur, you know, starting a business, it takes, it takes, it's a good five-year, you know, minimum kind of endeavor to make it happen and get used to how you operate, so to speak. Well, for sure. And anyone who's maybe a young parent or a parent of a very young kid, when I started Metalsmith Society in 2018, my son Dean was six months old. And so I would just, I was home with him all the time. And my daughter had preschool like four hours a week. And so I'd put Dean down for a nap And I would scour Instagram and try to connect with people. And I would do my post every morning while they're like in the high chairs, like, and it just (laughs) slowly grew. Yeah. It sounds like you're reading my book on, honestly, I I started, um, a school when, when my first child was one and, uh, I was still breastfeeding, you know, it was like answering calls on my headphones, you know, having the headset. I even got like the, the software that you could talk and type so I could be hands-free you know, and, and it was just those little pieces each day that built something eventually, you know, and it was like, just going to do what I can during nap time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I can totally relate to that. Um, and tell me about your husband. Where'd you guys meet in New York? Well, actually him and I, we both had a mutual friend, Jessica, who he grew up with and her and I went to Pratt together. And so him and I met like two decades ago, practically. And, you know, we had just been friends and then we saw each other again at a wedding in Virginia and he was living in Boston. I was living in New York city and I was just like, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, we, this was all, you know, this was, I'd already become sober and I was just like willing to travel to Boston to date him. And vice versa, we would take the Bolt bus back and forth and see each other on the weekends. And um, yeah, the very first date, he always says it could have been extremely awkward or awesome because I had to come for the weekend because I was coming from New York. Right. But I think we'd hung out. We knew each other enough that we knew it was going to be awesome. And so here we are. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of those universe things where it's like, hey, who are you? And why do I keep running into you? You know, (laughs) when I tell you I was going to this wedding, obviously by myself, traveling by myself, it was a lot of us converging from different parts of the country to Virginia, where even the people getting married 
one of them had grown up there, so it wasn't like they lived there either. And I go to this place, uh, the hotel that has very uh, sketchy uh, cell phone service. So I couldn't get in touch with anyone. And it was like the elevator doors opened like with a bing. And Kyle was standing there, my husband, my uh-huh. husband. And I was yeah. like, Kyle. Wow. <laughs> so it's yeah. just funny. And that's so you cool. Know? I can totally, totally relate to that one too, Corky. I just kept crossing paths with my husband, like on the street at a show, you know, oh, there he is playing music again. Oh, he's in a band with so-and-so or, you know, we connected a lot through kind of music scene in Austin and um, I just kept running into him. Love and that. he's he's New York Italian, you know, so he's, you know, always kissing people on the cheek as a greeting. And I took it very personally. I was like, why is this guy kissing me? <laughs> But he kisses every he kisses everybody. He's Italian, you know, and so. But there was I could just feel his like. There's something here, and the timing again. It wasn't right, you know, for a while. And he's 25 years older than me, so there was that whole thing. And then it was just like that last time we ran into each other. It was like this just makes sense. So that is the best. Well, and I should add too. I had I had two. After flirting with him all night, I the the next day I tracked him down in his hotel room, knocked on the door, and I was like, "Hey, I'd like to go out with you sometime. Here's my number." And that's now that we have children because of that. I like to remind them because <laughs> I I think that speaks though a little bit to my personality. I've had to go after things, sure in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they don't always present themselves. You have to ask for what you want and uh, and show up and follow through. And, and yeah, I did the same Take thing. Take a risk. <laughs> yeah. I was like, when are we hooking up, man? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm tired of you waiting around on this. Like just, and he's like, we'll stay and watch a movie. Okay, sure, babe. You know, 10 years later, you know, married and two children, wonderful kids. And um, well, good on you. I'm glad that Love that, that, yeah, that timing aligned for you. Um, talk to me about your work a little bit. Share with us like that process for you and what you're working on now and hope to work on in the future. So jewelry or metalsmith society? Uh, let's talk jewelry. I do want to talk jewelry. to you about metalsmith okay. society. So, sure. but yeah, I want to hear about your work. So I think my biggest driver for my jewelry work has been a relentless chasing of getting better at techniques. So like some people are inspired by certain things in life I am certainly inspired by nature and botanicals and I'm obsessed with houseplants and I make plant stands, but that's just kind of the aesthetic inspiration. What really, really inspires me is for the last six months, for example, I see a gorgeous thick bezel and I'm like, I want to get really good at doing that. And so I go get help from my friend, Emily Marquis, who's a teacher in Connecticut I took classes with her. She showed me how she learned. I practiced, practiced, practiced. And so I kind of say that my work is still, I, I have not landed in a very specific aesthetic where someone would look at my work and be like, that's a Corky Bolton, 100%, you know, and I admire jewelers that have really arrived in that sense. I'm too kind of busy switching up the type of fabrication I want to do or the techniques that I want to use. Um, as another example, I love GRS and I took an engraving class two years ago with Sam Alfano. It was amazing. I had planned to go last summer, but due to COVID, 
wasn't able to, I am returning in August and I'm going to be taking an advanced stone setting class with Todd Daniels. I'm so fortunate and so excited, but this is really going to affect my work, gaining these skills. And that's where I've been. Yeah. That's, so you're still considering yourself a, a, in the learning phase, it sounds like. Yes. I don't, I don't think any of us ever exit that as jewelry, jewelry makers. It's one of the most broad crafts, you know, and most ancient crafts, I think, in existence. Um, and I, I love that part of it, you know, just the, the history behind it and like that longevity, the heirloom quality that you mentioned, you know, um, creating something that fits in a shoebox and also can be passed down for generations or buried in the earth and resurfaced, you know, uh, there's just something really the permanence of metal that I, I really appreciate. Well, I'm, I'm nodding in agreement for those that are just listening, but it's like, you could choose one modality and be like, I'm going to focus on doing kombu for this whole year and like watch where that takes you. It's wild, you know, and there's yeah. so many different techniques you could be good at. And I don't want to be a master of none, jack of all trades per se. Um, but I am fascinated in some of these advanced techniques that are really hard, like engraving. And I don't say they're hard to discourage anyone interested out there. It just requires learning and lots of practice, mm -hmm. which I'm up for. I, I, cause that's the part that's, I left that out. There's always been this part of me that I'm very satisfied at getting good at things. I am a bit of a perfectionist. And so whenever, even as a child, there's been something where, you know, you like finally get it, you knock all the pins down bowling and you're just like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's me. Yeah. I'm like, I finally got that bezel and it looks beautiful. And right. I just get so excited. Yeah. So how do you face the challenges within that? Like the skinny spots, so to speak, or the, you know, the failures really that, that come from learning and pushing yourself in that way? Well, I will say this, and this is also something that I think would be helpful to maybe someone listening who's more of a beginner. If you make a necklace and let's say you're trying to do some sort of clasp on it and, or bail and you're, you know, you're setting a particular kind of stone and the first time you do it, you're just like, uh, yeah, okay. It, it turned out okay. And you're just really like, I guarantee if you take the time to do it a second time, you will crush it. And that's how I deal with my failures, which are many. I've, oh my gosh, I have a drawer of broken stones. I have pieces that are so unfit for Instagram. They are not Insta-worthy. But I did learn a lot through each process. And that is one of the challenging things with what we do, the per permanence of it, because someone who's drawing can just draw and then just recycle that piece of paper. We could technically, I mean, if you want to go there, we could also do that. I don't think we have to save everything we ever made, but there are a lot of art styles where it's a lot more forgiving when you're practicing and learning and jewelry is, you know, you're investing in materials, you're investing in stones. And so it's definitely, there are going to be some bumps along the way, but yeah, that's how I really like to to overcome that is if I'm feeling not great about something, I just do it again and do it again. I guaranteed better the second time always. Yeah. And even the third. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, stone setting it, you know, you're about to dive into that world. It, it really is one of the more technique heavy, you know, uh, within the craft. I think it's really takes 
try, try again, you know, flush set 20 stones. Uh, people used to approach me to teach quirky when I ran the school here in Austin. And um, I would, they'd say, well, what do I need to do to teach at creative side? And I would say, set a hundred bezels and bring them in and let me look at them, you know? (laughs) And I mean, that's a big tall order, but really like we have to go through those struggles, so to speak. And I don't mean to speak of them as failures necessarily. I think that's part of learning is, um, I love Rhonda Coriel always said failures where the learning begins. And, um, I think that's huge. Like I need, you need to go through those struggles because students are going to bring up things that you would never imagine, you know, and you need to kind of know how to overcome those, those uh, hurdles, so to speak. So yeah, practice, practice, right? Keep at it. It is. I have to remind myself just because I went to college, just because I had a few jobs, I was out of the game also for like many years when my kids were really young, when my daughter was born, I was not, I mean, I was home all the time, breastfeeding as well, like just all the things. And so I have to remind myself that I need to practice And so when I'm going to, not every piece I make is going to be for the shop. And that can be hard to, uh, you know, hard when you're someone who is running a small business and you're investing in materials. But yeah, sometimes making that same pair of earrings 10 times, the 10th pair is going to be a lot better. But a lot of us, we will just say, oh, okay, I'm going to make this one ring one time. And there we go. Move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a common thing. I think we want to be able to market or sell everything that we make. And it's, yeah, the the process is, you know, yeah, you end up with a shoebox full of unfinished pieces or ones that you're not as so proud of, um, you know, like Insta-worthy. Sample sample sale. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the history. I actually like looking at those first pieces, you know, I still have them and they're so rough and raw. I I was more of a wax carver than a fabricator. And, um, you know, the, the evolution of your craft, like your skill, it's kind of fun to look back at. And it's like looking at your drawings as a child, you know, and, uh, and I still have all those as well. Like I have, I have out in, on my window ledge, just right here, actually, my favorite piece that I made from my senior show at Pratt. Nice. Yeah. Want me to show it to you? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Bring it up. It's a great studio. Corky's got, if you guys aren't watching, uh, how many benches do you have now? Three or four in there? I have four. Yep. One is for shooting content. One has my engraving setup and a microscope, and I've been experimenting with it and using it for even when I'm just hammer setting bezels, and it's awesome. And now I'm like doing my polishing with my flex shaft, like under a microscope. It's really game changing because I can see wow. what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have that tool because it has been a big game changer. And then my original, my original bench that I, I couldn't get rid of is I'm soldering on that right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in college, I made I made this mailbox that I'm holding up for Courtney. It has my address on the back from the house that I grew up in stamped on it. It has an etching of the tattoo that my brother and I have on our backs. We have matching tattoos. I'm really tight with my brother Hayes. And then the mailbox opens up. And out of it comes the chain. And I'll have to read it because there's a bit of a glare from the sun. But when my brother and I, we grew up in this house on Ellis Place in Austin, New York. And 
when I was 12, my mom had to sell it. Her and my dad had gotten a divorce. She couldn't afford it anymore. And it was hard for us because I think it was like very symbolic of the actual divorce. It's like, it's one thing when your parents are like, yeah, we're getting a divorce. But then when you're leaving your house and everything is changing, it was such a hard time. And the last night that we were at this house, my brother wrote all over his wall in Sharpie. That's very Hayes thing. Um, just makes me smile because it, that's not a cool thing to do if you're about to sell a house. Um, although they, they were going to renovate, the house needed a lot of work. But he wrote, I dreamed, laughed, worked, learned, yelled, cried, grew here. Um, and he marked it with an X. And I get like teary-eyed <laughs> just reading that. It you're, was so, I know, it was oh just so, I, it was so... Um, you know, it was such a, a time. And my senior thesis at Pratt, it was all about me bearing my soul and telling these childhood stories. And that's kind of like the person I've always been too. But it's not really for like production jewelry. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. That's so <laughs> profound. Yeah. Oh. I'm so, I'm, you're making me tear up. We can't do that. We only have 15 minutes. Quirky. I even have, <laughs> I, I, I even made oh. this ribbon clasp. Yeah. It's like a little ribbon and it has December 1997 and that's when we, that's when we, my parents got the divorce and moved out of the house. So anyways, but God, I love looking at like, it, it was um, such a privilege to go to college and be able to have that time to focus and to like make something with a little clasp right? or sorry, a little hinge and like something and yet, even with this sort of conceptual jewelry, it's still like wearable. And that's kind of like where, you know, where I was at. But I agree to bring us back like those earlier works. I like to keep it right on my windowsill and look at it. And Well, that's a really special piece, too. I mean, that's just a nice reminder of that relationship you have with your brother. Is he older than you or? He is, yeah. yeah. How many years? He's three and a half years older. Okay. Yeah. And he, yeah, so he's, yeah, he's great. We, we FaceTime all the time. We visit. He has kids too. Yeah. I'm really lucky. We're, we're tight. Um, and he, he plays, he plays guitar. So he has some artistic skills himself, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You're very fortunate. That's so cool. Talk to me about, are you, I saw a post on your Instagram uh, about you getting into gold. Is that going to, is that happening? Thank you for asking about that. And I'm sorry, we're hitting the sun's coming. So I actually love your lighting. It's like really I'm in a dramatic shadow. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Dun, dun, dun. Well, after the profound piece that you just shared, it's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to like, just, I'm just going to slide right over here. So I'm not in a sunbeam <laughs> like a cat. Um, so thank you for asking about that. I really love wearing gold. I think that makes me a little fancy. Uh, I'm not a fancy person, really. That's the funny thing. I like athleisure. Um, in a given day, I'm usually rocking a Metal Smith Society sweatshirt or whatever and, and some um, sweatpants. But um, I, I just, I love the color of yellow gold. And I think that's all very personal, like what, what you feel looks nice and what makes you feel good. But I do think that making jewelry that you would actually want to wear yourself is pretty key because I think if people stay true to that and they're making things that they're like, if you saw this in a boutique, would you be so excited to buy this? Would you like need to do it? And so working in gold, um, it feels like the next best step for me because I really love wearing it. And, um, you know, my most recent thing I did last week was I set a really small opal in gold and 
you know, I did it under the microscope and it was a thick bezel and it was a small scale and it was just bringing together the culmination of a lot of the skills that I've been working on for the past, you know, few months, um, in a really nice way. That's very satisfying. And truthfully, it can't be said enough, but I mean, the uh, profit that you're going to make on gold pieces is far better than silver. And for someone who doesn't have a lot of time at the bench like myself, it actually makes more sense for me to make a few gold pieces a month and hopefully sell them versus I can't crank out like 50 silver pieces. Right. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does add a ton of value. This is a, a common thing that comes up in these conversations for sure. As, and of course, as, as a teacher, you know, people are, can be very intimidated by taking that leap. You know, it's like, so oh, it's so much more expensive. And right now it really is. But, um, you know, that fear of like, well, what if I melted? And what if I can't work with it? It's actually easier to work with um, than silver, I find. But, you know, I, um, I got one good bit of advice about working with gold one time. And it's the thing that I will, that I always impart when anyone asks me is that when you're soldering it, you just need to pause. You take your flame away and you pause because there's this thing and I'm not my, my knowledge. I always say like, we could write volumes about what I don't know about metalsmithing, even though I'm the person who is coordinating this fabulous community of ours. Um, Scientifically, I, I can't really speak to why this is, but gold solder just takes that extra second to like solidify. And so, and I don't know whether that it, that's because it conducts heat better, whatever, but when you just pause, so literally take your torch away and go pause and then move your hand. Because the biz, biggest mistake I see with people soldering gold is, is that they go to move it and it literally just like will go like... Yeah. <laughs> Another one of those learning curves for sure. Yeah. But the nice thing too, is that you can focus the heat on one, you know, one piece. You're not really having to illuminate the piece with heat. And so, um, makes it, yeah, it's a different, different game. And it's also much lovely. nicer to engrave on. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And do like bead settings and some of those things that I'm trying to learn because it's, it's harder. Yeah. It's less gummy. So mm-hmm. perfect. All right, we definitely need to talk about Metalsmith Society and how this came to life for you. Uh, and also, I'm just curious, like, how did you rock this out so quickly? I mean, you know, all of a sudden it just blew up. So share with us about, about that journey for you. Uh, so going back to one of my jobs in the industry with Elizabeth Garvin, I had a coworker named Hega. Um, I had a bunch of great coworkers there, but Hega had been working there for a really long time. Very knowledgeable jeweler. Hega, if you're listening, hello. I love you. Um, you know, this is a story I tell a lot is that I was pregnant with my son and working on a custom job in white gold and a setting snapped off of the piece and I had already set an opal on another part of the piece. So that was a sad day. And uh, anyone that's, uh, anyone that's, you know, shout outs if you've worked in white gold because it's brittle. Shout outs if you've been pregnant. Shout outs if you've been working on a stressful custom job. It was just a trifecta that I could not handle m- on my own. And thankfully, you know, and I mean this sincerely, I am someone that knows how to ask for help. 
I did it when I was struggling with alcoholism. I've done it as a young mom when I didn't know what to do and I was struggling with my, you know, with being a parent. And so in this moment, I thought, okay, what, what is my support system here? Who can I reach out to? And I emailed Hega. I hadn't talked to her in years and Hega's awesome. She immediately emailed me back and her suggestion was to buy a potato carve out a channel, put the piece in the potato, expose the area that I needed to solder and get in there quick with it. You know, I used an oxygen acetylene torch. So it was small, hot, hot flame. I think I did go down a medium solder instead of hard so that, you know, to help, but, um, and it worked. And for anyone though, that's listening on that, you still have to use that tip with caution. (laughs) I always have to have a disclaimer because any of these heat protecting kind of tips, you never know, larger stones, more heat, you know, but, um, you know, for the sake of the story and it is the truth, it worked. And so this was like, it planted the seed of like, it would be so nice to connect with other jewelers because I'm getting back into the game, but I don't have a community anymore because I'm work. I'm got my bench at home. I have little kids. I'm only doing a few hours a week. Instagram was definitely already a thing I was utilizing for Corky Bolton jewelry. Follow me there, you know, (laughs) no big deal. Um, and this idea came down the road that I, wouldn't it be nice to connect with other people jewelers that were, would be willing to share how they did things, but nothing proprietary, nothing that would allow anyone to copy anyone else's designs. I'm not looking for someone's exclusive, you know, the way that they have this special stone setting technique that they do, that's their aesthetic. Um, and so I was brainstorming and I was like, okay, metalsmith society, that sounds really badass. And then my husband was like, yeah, it does. And he's always my person that I'll bounce ideas around. He's not a jeweler, but he'll be like, that sounds legit. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it was February and it was, we were attending my friend's son's first birthday party the morning I was making my first post. And I, I can't remember, but I think I also hired a graphic designer pretty immediately Um, the bearded creative Simon, he's also on Instagram. He's awesome and does freelance work. He created the metalsmith society logo. And I just took money out of my jewelry business because I was like, if people are going to respond to me, I think I need an official icon. I need it to be. So I never did that with the intention that I'm going to have like merch or anything like that. And I'm just going to stand up, but this was the original, one of the original iterations, sorry, got away from the mic, but that, um, you know, he created for me and I basically would ask permission from people on Instagram. I would reach out to them and say, Hey, I noticed that you shared this really interesting setup. Would you mind if I shared that? I will give you full credit. And that's how it began. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time on Instagram. And still, are you, is that a a good portion of your day or how does that balance out? So I hate to, I hate to admit this. I, I had to find more life balance because there was a certain time your phone will tell you, by the way, if you go and it's sad, (laughs) it'll tell you how much time screen time you're spending. Oh yeah. I think at certain times I was spending like six hours a day on Instagram. It was too much. And so, cause I would also, it's so convenient. I'd be like, 
you know, pulling my phone out at times that I probably shouldn't have. And I'd be like, Oh, someone sent me a tip. Oh, DM. So there's a few things I have to admit, um, is that one, a lot of times I do have to post and ghost. Are you familiar with that term? (laughs) No, but I can imagine, but yeah, describe that. A a post and ghost is when you kind of just put out content and then you don't look at it again. And so that means I'm so sorry, but I don't always see all the fabulous comments, but I like to often say the gold happens in the comments because this community that has come together is so kind and awesome that I see people helping each other in the comments and that oftentimes whosoever tip I'm sharing, they will very generously take some time out of their day that day and they will answer the questions. And honestly, they are the one that's best equipped to answer the questions anyhow. And so that's one way I've struck a balance is um, I do try to look at some of the the comments. And of course, I, I love resharing stories that people share, whether they're using a tip or they very kindly purchased merch. Um, and certainly if I'm doing sponsored content, I try to be engaged and active as well, but I had to find a little bit more of a balance with that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you do this because you love making jewelry, so you can't spend, (laughs) you got to get that time at the bench too. Um, how do you compartmentalize like these different endeavors and different streams of revenue that you're creating in your, in your work? I'm, I'm practicing this in a different way, you know, um, after COVID, especially, I think forced us to slow down. It's like, go home, everybody, you know, quarantine, you know, lock the door, stay home and, and really look at things differently and reevaluate. I think it's been a really good time for that. Um, it's been a silver lining of this, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think first off, one thing that I really focused on last year was my email list and the importance and power of it. Because as many people have said, Instagram is just like an introduction to you. And even with 170,000 followers, which is where we're at right now. And I say followers, people in the community, people, you know, the percentage of engaged people is, is far less. We all follow a lot of accounts. And so a lot of people might not see the daily posts and they might not see some of the awesome promos we have going on. So like, I'll give you this example and I I swear I'm not doing this because this is Rio Grande, but I am doing a promotional series right now with Rio Grande and they're offering like a really cool, um, discount on some Swanstrom tools that they have and like Swanstrom's exclusive to Rio and it's great. But like very easy to miss a post like that because I post every day. I have posted every day since I started this thing. I've never missed a day. And so that's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I like about email lists is the most important things that happened for the week, the the fundraisers that we do, the educational opportunities free that are free to people. You know, like it's just a way that I can reach out and like engage with people that are super, like the people that are on my email list are like the super engaged people. So you asked about compartmentalizing. That's like one thing is like, I focus on those really dedicated folks that are willing to give me, you know, some time of their day to read the content that I put out. I usually do like one email or two week, usually tops. Um, so that's been really good. Um, I have developed some really fabulous relationships with tool companies in the industry but I have to say, I think some people who are, it's so weird to say that I'm an influencer 
but I know that that's what it is. <laughs> sure. Like my resume is pretty off the grid after like being home with the kids, but I guess that's like what I would put on it. Um, but the thing I've focused on is I haven't taken on more people. I'm not trying to sell like Coke products to people or like things that aren't relevant to us. I've said, okay, let me be really focused only show things that I believe in, that I've tried for things that, for everything that people see, there have been tools that I've been like, that's not for us. Or I try it and I'm like, I don't really think that that's, that would be right for the community. And so it's always authentic. And I can say that, you know, with honor. And I haven't really tried to like grow that or blow it up because I don't want it to become all about that. You know, I don't want everyone to feel like they're constantly getting an ad or being sold to. Cause I recognize like, I also genuinely love about this page that you can like do something with a potato. Like you don't need expensive tools to make jewelry. And so even when I am showing off a tool, I try my best to also make it like educational so that it's just informing and that's the spirit. And so it's like, there's some sponsored work, but then really the community has meant the world to me because one of the biggest things I did was I created a Patreon page. And so like the Patreon page is basically just a platform for people if they want to donate as little as $3 a month or 36 annual. And I got into it because I support a lot of my favorite podcasts on Patreon. And I've tried to make it really sort of extra beneficial for people. Like Rio gives you a $20 free ship code when you join my Patreon. So like I've tried to have some perks and I have like some fun merch that I do only for them. But I just bring it up to say that, um, I mean, join my Patreon, but also... <laughs> But like genuinely, um, I couldn't do it without the support of the community because people have been generous, even if it's just $3 a month or they buy a t-shirt or they send me a tip, that support has kept me going. I don't want to get any bigger or like, I just am really happy where I'm at, where I still love it and I still want to do it and I can still have balance with my family. Yeah. Did I answer your question or you, was that you a crazy did. tangent? No, okay. it's like, yeah. I think, you know, I think that's kind of what I was asking is like, how do we separate out these, these things that we do? I mean, for me, and I don't mean to over talk about, it, I'm just excited to get to know you too more quirky, but like, and I can totally relate to just all the things you're sharing with us. And, um, you know, I've got a band, I'm a singer, I'm a mother of two. I am a daughter of a, you know, my mom who's getting older. I've, um, I'm a wife. I'm um, entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> I can't stop, you know. Um, and now I'm doing more consulting in the industry. It's just all these different things that we juggle with uh, being ambitious and perseverant people. I think, you know, it really takes a lot of practice to say, okay, I'm clocking out of that and I'm doing this. And um, yeah. yeah, I recently started clocking my time differently just to have a tangible way to to separate those, those parts of my world and try to be more present in each and do, you know, do the best that we can in each division of our life. But I love getting to share with you. I want to talk to you for another hour. I know you got to go get your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know we can oh, totally really talk for another hour. Well, actually I have like five more minutes. Okay. If we, we cool. don't have to like, yeah. you know, um, so that's part of what I do is I always 
like I always manage my time in this way to allow a little window because I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The buffer, right? Yeah, yeah. the cover yourself buffer. Um, well, just share, I, is there anything else you want to share with your community? Like now that you have this opportunity to speak um, to everybody and... I, I just want to say, you know, thank you to the community. And I want people to know, like from the bottom of my heart, I don't get a chance to read every email or DM. And um, it's big for me to mention that because it actually used to cause a lot of anxiety. I'd be like, oh, I don't want someone to think that their tip wasn't good because I didn't respond. It, I might not have seen it. Um, am I thinking about ways that I can overcome these challenges? I am. Like maybe I'll hire some help this year. I don't know. It's a goal for sure. Um, and, you know, but I, I just want to thank people from the bottom of my heart because there wouldn't, I know people are um, really grateful for the page, but I am too. And it's it's really been an amazing opportunity. It's connected me with so many amazing people. I feel really privileged and I, I hope to give back as well to the community. But I just want people to know that if you reached out to me and you had a, you know, a problem, because when I first started Courtney, someone would just DM me with a photo of a ring they were working on and I'd talk them through it. Wow. And I just don't have the time. I still will try to help. Sometimes people will still, but my DM are really terrifying, like scary. Yeah. Like, cause it's just, there's so many. Right. Yeah. But, it's um, too much. I don't want to discourage people from reaching out to me. Email me. I have a new email just dedicated to tips. It's tips at metalsmithsociety.com. Um, the other thing I like to mention is that, you know, a really big deal and what was made possible through Patreon is I have a search engine where you can find tips. And I feel like I don't talk about it enough, but tips.metalsmithsociety.com is a Google search practically for just Metalsmith Society. So if you search a keyword like bezel setting or scotch tape or potato, any tip that came up with that keyword in the caption will pop up because that's the other thing is that I've, I've tried to find the path of least resistance for like everything I've done here. So I saw that I had an issue where a lot of people were messaging me because they needed my help to find a tip that I'd shared. Well, I've shared over 1300 tips now. So I thought, okay, what's the solution? And in working, you know, my husband's a software engineer we figured out a way to make that happen. And so that's, that's really been awesome. Um, I, I think it's noble to, to mention that quirky because we can't be everything all the time. <laughs> um, as much as we would like to, to have, you know, two or three of ourselves, I think that's just not possible. And you do have to prioritize differently when you become a, a mom and, um, yeah, your time just becomes like so much more valuable and, uh, yeah, just do the best you can. Right. I mean, with working with what we got girl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the, the last thing I think I would say is that, you know, our pillars of the community that I created are kindness, community education. And I'm just really grateful that people have continued to be super kind to each other. Because I can honestly say if every day I went on and people in the captions were being mean to each other, and I'm not saying nothing's ever happened, and there's been a handful of times where I've had to block or restrict people's accounts because they just don't get it. Yeah. But 
all in all, this is three years plus of doing this daily. People are kind to each other and supportive of each other and willing to answer a question. This is just a community of people that are interested in jewelry making. So some other platforms scare me a lot, like even YouTube and like, because mm -hmm. I think people can be kind of ruthless yeah. and they'll just make comments and I'm a sensitive person. So when someone comments to someone and it could hurt a beginner or make them feel not welcome, that would really affect me in the beginning. Like I would, and I have grown a tougher skin, but I've also just, it's a zero tolerance policy, but I don't even have to enforce it because everyone that I see is so kind to each other. And that means a lot to me and it's why I keep it going. So if, cause it wouldn't be fun anymore if it was just, Oh, people are trolling each other again. Like it's just, you put, you put yourself out there. You're, you're always going to get some negative and some, you know, some people love and some people don't. And, but it's like, keep it to yourself. It's not proactive or, uh, productive in any way, uh, to, to beat on somebody, you know, like yeah. how, who's that helping? I just not. So I totally love your principles, the values that you've instilled in, in your project and, and we are grateful, Quirky. I think it's been a really good community builder. I love that you're all about uh, n no competition. It's all, you know, let's collaborate. And I, I mention this a lot myself. I just think it's so much more powerful if we can all work together instead of um, competing against each other. It's like, how can we partner? What can we do? You know, how do we get creative together and collaborate? So love that you stand for that. Love that you, you're taking the time from your life to share that with, with the community. It's a fabulous group and, um, of, of, I love people in this craft. They're just mostly very loving and generous. And so, uh, so generous. And I'm just so I can't say it uh, like a hundred times. So grateful. I'm so grateful. It's really, I know I did, I put in the time, but people showed up yep. and no one's more surprised than me. <laughs> it means I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it either. <laughs> it's another universe that, you know, science that means that you're headed in the right direction when things align like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, trust it, girl. Let's keep in touch. And um, thank you for, for sure. sharing with us today. Uh, we may have to do a part two because there's, I know there's like 20 more things we want to talk about, but I'm here for it. All right, girl. Yeah. Let us, um, you know, keep in touch and everybody definitely give, give your last shout out of where to post or see the posts on metalsmith society and how to join. Yeah. Um, occasionally I'll receive a really cute email. That's like, how do I join the society? And, <laughs> and then I respond, I always respond. I'm like, you already did just by emailing me. Just I mean, boom. It's, <laughs> literally everyone is welcome. You follow the page at Metal Smith Society. My website has a lot of resources that are awesome. Um, a blog article that I did with Rio Grande is one of the most visited pages. It's a guide to purchasing metal. So it explains what's soft, what's half hard. You know, it, it's really helpful if you're trying to pick out wire to make rings or other beginner projects. So that's really cool. There's also a page on there where to take classes. It's just organized by state and country. And you can find local work, workshops, you know, Creative Side used to be on there. Um, and, you know, there's it, it's great to support those local spots. And um, so you're, there's that. And then my jewelry at Corky Bolton Jewelry. I love having other jewelers and makers in the community just come on over there. I try to share an occasional nugget there too. But I have to say, like, when I get burnt out, my jewelry page takes the brunt of it because I'm just, I just peace out and I'm gone for like two weeks. And, um, but anyhow, and then um, also CorkyBoltonJewelry.com. But uh, that's, that's where to find me. We'll put these in the, in the, the wording too, guys, when we post this. But 
Corky, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to great to finally get to to meet you face to face, and uh, hopefully it's just the beginning of of a relationship for you and I to continue talking about education and how we can support the the fabulous community out there. So I'd love that. I want to post a tip from you. Let's oh, go. yeah, I might have something up my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get at the bench as much as I used to. Of course, I've you know my creative and energy is is elsewhere, but absolutely, yeah. Let's. let's I talk. can see your bench in the mirror behind you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um an, an inactive right now, but uh, we'll we'll get there. We'll get one All thing right. at a time. All yeah. right, Corky, go get your kiddos, and thank you again. Onward and upward, and um, we'll 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 see you soon. All right. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of For the Love of Jewelers. Stay tuned for the next episode by subscribing through Spotify, iTunes, or by searching podcast at riograndecom I encourage you to rate us, write a review, and share with friends and colleagues. I hope you're all finding ways to stay inspired. I'm your host, Courtney Gray. Until we get to connect again, onward and upward. <laughs>